This is Irish Illustrated Insider. I am Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. It's January 11th. We have joining us once again today, Pete Sampson from The Athletic. No huge breaking news as we're recording this, but perhaps after you've listened to this, uh, Tyson Ford, the defensive end, the quality defensive end, top 120 uh, rush end, but man, could grow into a big end too. Tyson Ford. Uh, is expected to verbally commit to Notre Dame today. Marcus Freeman is on the job already and working at Notre Dame. Still doesn't have a safeties coach, but the defensive coordinator is there. He's off to a really good start with Tyson Ford. Yeah, I mean, Ford tape, I mean, he definitely seems like a big end to me. Um, But I think the things that stand out to me is, I think on his huddle page, he's listed at 6'6". I don't think he's that big, but... 6'4 is fine. Um, he's got really good size and great length. Um, at a minimum, should be a really, really good college player. Um, at a maximum, who knows? But, I mean, Notre Dame has recruited a lot of guys over the years that you're like, ah, you know, could be a boomer or a bust. Like, Tyson Ford is not a boomer or a bust type player. Like, he's, I, I would say, like, the minimum is sort of Isaac Rochelle, which is – just fine. You can yeah. you can do pretty well with guys like Isaac Rochelle in the NFL, isn't he, Pete? Just to yes, throw that out still. there, still yes. Take point that out, but uh, <laughs> we'll get into that if he goes a couple more years on this podcast. But, couple, yeah. I um, he's halfway there. He's halfway there. <laughs> he's okay, halfway, he's halfway there. All right. <laughs> ten year Tim, Isaac. Tim Rochelle. O'Malley predicting a ten year yes. career for Isaac Rochelle, and yes. I get it. I mean, he's a he's a glue guy. He's a chemistry guy, and he's been a pretty productive player for the Chargers when he's had an opportunity to play. I tried to preview Ford at both. Um, I agree with Pete that strong side, big defensive end, whatever you want to call it, just because he's a junior that's this big. I mean, he's he's going to grow. He looks like he has a frame that would grow. I'm not one of the experts that can look at someone's hips and arms and legs and tell you if they have a frame to grow. He looks like he has a frame to grow, however. But as Priester pointed out when we talked about it um, off the air, I mean, he also still has the get-off and the intangibles to be a rush end, and he would be an imposing rush end. I just feel like if you look at the depth chart and – Assuming he signs with Notre Dame, you'll see it later. They have a couple more promising guys at rush end. So I, I've kind of moved yeah, him to strong. Yeah, side. I mean, I think that's the great thing about him, that he has he has a rush end or viper end quickness. But you can see the frame. I mean, he's going to continue to grow. He isn't nearly as big. He, he might be reaching his, his full height, but it, he isn't nearly as big as he's going to be. And really great get off, great motor, nasty. Uh, wants to punish people, really good football players. So by the time you hear this, or maybe shortly after you hear this, he should be in the fold with Notre Dame. Notre Dame's still waiting on a safeties coach. Uh, I know people are freaking out because they need to, they need to get safety. They need to recruit safeties and they need to sign a, a grad transfer safety. It hasn't happened yet. People ask for timetables. I'm telling you that is the most unanswerable question 99 times out of 100 for a sports writer uh, and I think a lot of times Notre Dame can't answer the time the specific right. timetable when somebody is announced as a as a new uh, assistant football coach yeah I don't I mean with the dead periods right now I don't I don't see this as a as a huge concern um, I'm timing. sure Mike Mickens can handle any kind of you know if you're pursuing a grad transfer Mike Mickens can speak on behalf of the the secondary, why it takes Nordane, the length that it does. I'm not going to be overly critical of that because it's their operation. And I, you know, I mean, I the, look, normally they've taken a lot of time to hire coaches. And I realize that the Marcus Freeman hiring 
came quickly. Maybe they just started the process a little bit earlier with him because it was clear that he was a guy that they were going to target. Well, I mean, when they announced Marcus Freeman, they said like the statements indicated that it was counter to their usual hiring practices. We were announcing this right now um, because it was that important. Safety's coach is not as important. And Kerry Cooks is right there. If your worst case scenario is Kerry Cooks, like he's already on staff, not a problem. Um, in the past, you have sort of whether it be Cooks or Nick Lezinski did this with a lot of linebackers. You have guys in support staff roles who handle some of the, the front end recruiting type stuff. So it's not, I just don't, I don't sweat that at all. Um, it's not, it's not worthy of any kind of freak out. I would be, I'd be pretty surprised if it doesn't end up being Kerry Cooks, actually. Not yeah, highest, not highest level ever surprise, but I would be, it's, it's, a, it's a transition that you can see. Right. There was a reason why easily. he was brought back in and, right. and, and this was always a possibility. And I mean, I mean, you say the, at, at worst, I mean, Marcus Freeman's there. He can speak on behalf of the defense. He <laughs> right. can speak on behalf of any of the positions. He's really good at it, uh, as, he, as he's already proved with Ty, Tyson Ford. So no problem there. Uh, Tom Loy from uh, 24-7 Sports slash Irish Illustrated reported that Notre Dame is working on Houston Griffith to come back. Again, Marcus Freeman getting involved. Um We've expressed our opinions about Houston Griffith, the football player. They need safeties. They need a body back there. Number three returning would be beneficial to them. Yeah, I think it was Friday. I published the uh, kind of this, what the safeties did last season and who returns. Returning is Hamilton, DJ Brown, KJ Wallace, and Litchfield Adjavon, who in two years has not appeared in a snap from scrimmage. KJ Wallace is a converted undersized corner that we found out after the fact was battling a groin injury for much of the year. And DJ Brown is a converted corner. So you do need another body. I know, I know freshmen are coming in, but Barnes and Wal if Barnes yeah. ends up at safety, he's coming in early uh, for this semester. So is Justin Walters, but your point taken. Yep. Kari G will not arrive until the summer. Yeah. You know, Houston Griffith, you know what he is, what he is not. Um, you know, he's, is he much different from DJ Brown? Not really. Um, but at the same time, if one of them gets hurt, you need the other available. Uh, they just, they don't have a whole lot of, uh, they don't have options. I mean, they need to find like a Nick McLeod at safety. And that's, that, that I think is probably their best case scenario. You imagine. Let's I mean, put it this way. DJ, no, no, I mean, DJ Brown and Houston Griffith combined for 458 snaps. Okay. Very close. So now these weren't all on third down, obviously, but neither one of them registered what I call a third down win where they make the play to get the defense off the field on third down. Wow. And they are in the third down package. 400 and how many snaps? 458 <laughs> combined. Zero <laughs> plays made on third down to get the team up. Now, I mean, that doesn't include doing your job. It's from what I can see happening on the field, right. of course. But that's Sean Crawford, 19th. People are all hate Sean Crawford. <laughs> Think of it that way. Thank you. Jack, are we having some technical difficulties there with Tim? Tim, you might you might want to try to sign in again. Yeah, you might want to sign in again. But uh, uh, Pete and I will finish this segment. Ovia Gofu um, is another guy that we would think, you know, if Marcus Freeman's going to try to convince somebody to to to, to come back, um, maybe him because he does does have some experience. Played a little bit. Played quite a bit actually against Alabama in place of 
of Dalen Hayes with Isaiah Foskey. So um, that might be a guy that you want to try to convince to stick around as well. Yeah, I, I I feel like he's not that different than Houston Griffith to me, though. Um, you know, in terms. Well, but of, he, but this was really his first year playing that position, whereas Griffith has, you know. Well, I mean, Griffith was a nickel, and then he was a corner, and then he was yeah. a safety. So, I mean, it's I, I guess I sort of view, unlike uh, the Houston Griffith situation at safety, there's you know Jordan Botello and a bunch of other younger guys that. I True. think are, are probably ready to get some run. Um, that does, that's not a reason not to bring back Obi Agufu if he's interested, but I, I would think that his position is, he is much less likely to find himself in a spot where like he just ascends into a, a rotational role than Houston Griffith would be just based on the nature of how those, those positions are, are manned. But, you know, at the very well, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say at the very worst, Gofu would be second team, but that's not necessarily true. Right. At, right. at rush end with Foskey and, and, and Botello. It, for the record, the defensive ends returning Justin Adamiola on the strong side, um, Foskey and Botello on the uh, on the weak side, Aaronsberg on the strong side, Asafo Menza back healthy, uh, not not a weak side guy, more of a strong side, and you have Alpu and 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 Schweitzer coming in uh, early this semester, so. Not a, ton, not a ton of experience. It certainly wouldn't hurt to have a GoFu back. And I just want to wrap up this segment real quick. Pete, I know that uh, I spoke with Aaron Taylor the other day. He was indeed uh, elected to uh, to the College Football Hall of Fame. You had him on your show. I don't know if you've talked to him since he – did you talk to him after? When no, I haven't. I mean, I've talked to him a bunch, but not since he was inducted. Yeah. I just mean, really, I was really happy for Aaron Taylor. He's one of, the, one of the great guys and one of the great players. And – yeah, absolutely deserving of the College Football Hall of Fame. Yeah. He was a, he was a three year starter. On a, he was a pillar on the on that offensive line, those great offensive lines of the early nineties. Uh, Lombardi award uh, Lombardi Award winner, first round draft choice, sixteenth overall pick, Super Bowl champion. Not that that plays into his uh, uh, credentials for the College Football Hall of Fame, but a great guy, and uh, I was really really happy to happy for him and happy to talk to him afterwards. Little known fact, you guys might not know this. For one month, almost, I worked daily with Aaron Taylor in 2008 because we were going to do Legends, the Legends of Notre Dame website he was launching together. No kidding. I was, yeah. Huh. Uh, and then he went Legend. on to, uh, he decided it was going to be difficult for his end with all the writing and stuff that goes on. Yeah. And he went on yeah. to a broadcast career. Yeah. yeah. No, it was about a month of 2008 before I went to Scout. Gotcha. Good dude. Yeah. Now, happy for Aaron Taylor. We'll be back for segment two coming up, burning up the boards. We'd like to thank Michael Kloska for designing our new podcast logo. Michael is a Holy Cross College graduate who worked in the Notre Dame football recruiting office. He designed our logo at Irish Illustrated Insider, and he can design your logo too. Connect with him by calling 574-339-7200. Now back to the podcast. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Irish John M. And it's a pretty easy one, I think. Who are your offensive and defensive MVPs for the 2020 season and why? I went with Kyron Williams on offense. I just thought that, um, you know, production was obviously very good. But I think that he kind of injected a little bit of attitude in that side of the ball, which hasn't really had in large quantities over the last few years. And then uh, Owusu-Koromo on defense. I mean, he was a great player, Buckus Award winner, basically 
allowed Notre Dame to play nickel and base at the same time whenever they wanted. Um, just a super unique player. And um, I thought he was, he was a pretty easy selection for me on that side of the ball. Well, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I Tim, would... you're frozen up again there, Tim, I believe. Uh, you know, I think uh, Kyron Williams is, well, we, we proved it um, with our countdown, our top 30 this week. And actually the top five came out this week and, um, or, or I'm sorry, today actually. And yeah, Kyron Williams. I mean, the only other possibility is Ian Book, but I think, you know, you look at a consistency factor and Kyron Williams, yeah. was, his effort and his performance was, his effort was top notch every time out. Uh, and his performance was very consistent too. And then you have to go with the Wusu Koromoa. Obviously, Kyron or uh, uh, Kyle Hamilton's a great player, but nobody impacted uh, Notre Dame defense quite like JOK. So uh, that was pretty. That was a uh, O'Malley and I were unanimous in the in the one two picks: uh, one on offense, one on defense. Irish fan eighteen forty two with most mock drafts showing book being a late round pick or worse. What was the reasoning behind not coming back? I think that this is an important thing for fans to remember is that playing football at Notre Dame is not the end all be all that it is for you um, compared to how it is for players. Like I'm not going to say that playing football at Notre Dame was a job for Ian book or he didn't enjoy it. Cause yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, he had a great career here, but he came to Notre Dame because he wanted to go play pro football and now he's a chance to go do that. So that's what he wants to do. Um, you know, he, five years, that's a long time for a college football career. And no, I mean, I would, and I would say that, look, if Notre Dame was returning all five starters on the offensive line and Devonta Smith was transferring into Notre Dame, like maybe you could have a conversation about like, yeah, you know, come back. You could really improve your stock. But like Notre Dame sort of going the, in the other direction. This is sort of the beginning of a new cycle for what Notre Dame is offensively. Um, so I, 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 Ian Book intended to go pro the whole time. I don't, from talking to people in his camp, I don't think that ever wavered. I think he had a good experience at Notre Dame, but that experience had a five-year shelf life, and that's come to an end. Who wants to Who wants to be in college for six years? I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't know exactly when Ian Book's uh, birthday falls, but, I mean, who really wants to be in, in college until you're 24 years old? I, I, I know I didn't want to, and – Five years is a long time. Lawyers and doctors. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, six, sports, certainly not sports writers going to stay <laughs> in school for that long. But I mean, six years in college, my goodness. Uh, you know, and I, I mean, two undefeated regular seasons. I, I, he will never get the credit that he deserves for that as a starting quarterback. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how he would improve. I, and you mentioned the, the, the personnel he's dealing with. If he had if in 2021 Ian Book had the 2020 offensive line and the 2019 receiving core, well, then that, as you said, Pete, that 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 would be one thing, something that yeah. he would consider. But he's 24 years old, man. He wants to earn some money, whether it's in the NFL or taking advantage of his degree at Notre Dame. Isn't want back? Make, I want to make sure you guys put in Jordan Johnson and Houston Griffith for offensive and defensive MVP <laughs> for 2021, right? That's what's happening? Okay, yeah, I agree. It was Kyron Williams and JOK. And Kyron Williams just – people told us that he was going to be a good player. And, you know, we, we saw a little of ourselves in, in, until that kind of unfortunate September, 2019 he had, but the way he ran was just 
a revelation compared to what I thought he would be. You know, I, I thought he could be a very good piece in a good backfield or something along those lines. He was just a he he's the cone center. Oh a man, setter, man. yeah. They've had good running backs. I mean, Josh Adams, Dexter Williams, all those guys are good running backs. But he really CJ Prosize. But the way he ran, the way he played, he was like the identity of the offense. You just you hadn't seen that in Notre Dame in a really long time. You want to comment on Book not coming back for a six year? I'm with you that I don't. No one <laughs> wants to come back for a six year. I mean, it's just Sean Crawford had to. He absolutely yeah, exactly. was not coming back. Exactly. It, it's, yeah, people don't want to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, for a lot of us, Notre Dame was a destination. But that, you know, I, I was a baseball player, not a football player. It's completely different. The mindset is completely different. And as much as Ian, as much college football as Ian Book has played, he's won thirty games. He there's. I don't see how he could possibly improve in 2021 at Notre Dame. You would not have come back for a fifth year at Notre Dame to no. play baseball. If well, the Yankees had... and, no, if the Yankees and Cubs said, all right, here's the signing bonus. You might not make the, you probably won't make the team, but here's a bonus to come exactly. try out. You'd be like, I'm there. Let's go. That's, right. that's just the way it works. Right. Uh, team mean, Mingo the... 11. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Is Mike Elston staying as an assistant head coach, defensive line coach? It's been a while since Marcus Freeman was announced as DC and Elston is still here and recruiting. It certainly appears to be that way. Pete, I don't know if you've heard anything with regard to, to Mike Elston, but he is still recruiting. And he, I mean, I'm sure he played a significant role in, in Tyson Ford, uh, Tyson Ford's decision. So, and you would think that since Marcus Freeman was hired a while back, you would think that, that, um, uh, you know, Purdue would have, if he was going to go to Purdue as a defense coordinator, Mike Elston, that is, you would think that 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 would have happened by now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's worth noting Purdue does not have a defense coordinator yet. Um, so whatever their process is, that's ongoing. Um, they did hire Ron English to hire to coach DBs, who was a Michigan guy who overlapped with Elston in Ann Arbor a long time ago. But at, um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard anything that makes me think he's in a hurry to leave. Um, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't read too much into the he's still recruiting because that's part of the job that is what guys do yeah you're right you're right you just do that um but i guess i've always felt the decision for elston to stay or go was going to be elston's and i don't think anything's changed in that regard if if he's dead set of being a dc that's going to have to happen somewhere else i think he's going to have an opportunity to do that if but i also think that I, I would think that when Marcus Freeman was hired, it was with an understanding of like, if Mike Elston wants to stay on staff, right, like he's right. your defensive line coach because right. um, Brian Kelly values him that much. As well, he should. I mean, if Frank Elston wants to come back, it is a 99.9% add to next year's team. <laughs> Other than he might wish he was in the position of the new defensive coordinator. That's the 0.1%. I mean, that's, yeah. you want, you want Mike Elston back as a, the entire yes. defensive line culture that he has built. And he, they talk about Harry, he stands in the offensive line culture. We talk about it all the time. And that continues to this day. Mike Elston has built a defensive line culture and the defensive line three of the last four years has been the best unit on the team. AF Cromley. What will we see in Marcus Freeman's defense that we didn't see in Clark Lee's? I, I think there'll be, I mean, just more variances up front. Um, how he aligns people up front. I think you'll see more, at least based upon watching Cincinnati film, I think you'll see a little bit more aggression as it pertains to blitzes coming from anywhere. I mean, I saw it come from anywhere, safeties, corners, uh, any one of the linebackers. So, you know, maybe a little bit more variance, but I think, you know, the one common thread between Marcus Freeman and Clark Lee is that rarely do you see 
a defense slash individual players out of position to make a play. They don't get, they don't get gashed by huge plays um, very often. Now somebody's always going to hit a deep ball on you every now and then, but uh, in general, that's the one common thread between the two coordinators. And I think that's the most important um, sameness about the two, so to speak. A defense coordinator on the field might be a little different. Um, You know, that's where Freeman calls the game from down low. Um, I think that, you know, Brian Kelly's, usually deferred to how the coordinator feels most comfortable. Um, I think that in terms of communication with the players, that's potentially significant. Um, you know, Clark Lee leaned on Nick Lazinski pretty hard last year for the linebackers. Elston was down there. Joseph was up and Mickens was down. I think I have that all right. But um, that I, I think that the energy that Freeman is going to bring will we'll be writing a lot about his sideline behavior next year um, in terms of the energy and, you know, jumping with guys and just really being fired up as if he was almost a player himself. Um, you know, the value of that, I you know, it's kind of up for debate, but I think guys will respond to that. So that, that might be a, something that's a little bit different. And I think this is the, one of the few cases where that happens. Great. If it didn't happen, great. They love the way Clark Lee coached them too. Yeah. It's not, it's not like when you go from the uh, we're an aggressive defense so we're going to be careful defense or we're the careful defense going to John Tenuta. It's For the first time in a long time, we're talking about replacing a great coordinator with a seemingly great coordinator. So whatever. <laughs> whatever the hell he wants to do it. It's going to be fun to see. It is, look, it will be fun to see a new defense play. I really like Clark Lee's defense. Obviously, everybody did. Do not leave the last two games he coached as a memory of yours because Marcus Freeman's defense wouldn't look a whole lot great against Alabama either in that one. So we can we can let that one go. Yeah. Um, looking forward to watching some. I, it is fun to see changeover though, and seeing a new defensive approach. A lot more three down, you know, up front. But at the end of the day, a lot of that is kind of over talked and overrated. Because yeah, Lee was know? able to do Lee was able to do that in no the dime, doubt. and we didn't talk about it much. It was just because it was in the dime, right. and it wasn't. I, you know, it'll be the same obsession that we gave to the rover position in 2017, where I think even Mike Elko was like, you guys need to stop talking about this. It's just like, it's just an outside linebacker who has some good cover skills. Like there will be no, something they, about this defense that we just go crazy for no, because it's just something different. He always called it a four, two, five though. And I, yeah. I, we refuse to do that. We just, well, yeah. The linebackers coach coached they the rover. Drew, so. They put Drew Tranquil there. We couldn't, yeah. I mean, it was like, he's bulked up. There was no way. I hope I hope Marcus Freeman calls it something crazy new, just so people can harp on it for the next nine months too. Like, oh, who's going to play the Joker position? This is something I like that. There's... Speaking of which, more Marcus Freeman from Buster Bivin. Marcus Freeman's front seven seemed to favor speed over size at Cincinnati. Does the Freeman hiring improve the prospects of any Irish defenders? I don't. I, I you know I find that maybe you have somebody in mind there. I, you know I don't know. I mean I did Cincinnati have. Uh, I mean, do you know, the, the, the question is asked, and, and I mean, did you know the Cincinnati roster and who played ahead of whom and why? I don't. I, I think logically a group of five good coordinator thinks he can win with recruiting speedy players. More Everybody than big. wants speed. Right, but Alabama and Notre Dame can recruit big, fast players, where Cincinnati wants speed and they're probably better off recruiting medium-sized speed players because they just aren't going to go to since yeah, they're no. getting a bunch of big guys, they're not going to be fast because they're not going to go to Cincinnati. I mean, that's, exactly. that's just no, the way it works. True. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's an unfair question. I just, when I look at the defensive roster coming back, I'm trying to think, 
you know, I'm trying to think who would fit into that category. I mean, Leofile's already playing. He would fit in that category. You know, when we were talking about defensive ends, there still is a possibility uh, that Myron Tagovailoa-Mosa could bump outside to the big end. We'll see what happens in the spring, which, by the way, um, just for everybody's information, I'm being told last year it started on March 5th. It ended on March 5th, too. <laughs> I was going to um, say, but hopefully. <laughs> I know that. I'll know that date forever. <laughs> yeah, I will, too. Um, but I'm understanding that it's probably going to start maybe the last week in March, but but probably the first week of April. So just an FYI, it's probably going to be a little bit later before we get into the spring practice. But I, I don't really know how to answer that question because I think ultimately the most productive players are on the field. And I, you know, if you're big and slow, you're not going to play for anybody. So Marcus Freeman switched to a three, three, five in 2019 when they played UCF, because that was the matchup that worked. If they had played Georgia that weekend, he wouldn't. Um, so then, and, and if they, if he had ran a four, four <laughs> and they beat Georgia, then he would probably focus on size more than speed, but it, I'm with what I'm, I think O'Malley is spot on here. It's like we were talking about Tyson Ford in segment one. Like Cincinnati is not recruiting Tyson Ford. Like they don't have a lot of six foot five, 245 pound high school juniors who turn into six foot six, 270 pound defensive ends. That those kids don't go to Cincinnati. They go to, they can go to Notre Dame and Oklahoma and Alabama and Georgia. So you, you can just recruit from a different genetic pool. Uh, here and you have to be maybe a little less creative about getting guys into different roles. Maybe this question is kind of similar from uh, Phila underscore fell besides Kyle Hamilton, which existing defensive players have the highest potential to thrive and or excel in a Marcus Freeman defense. I mean, I liked it when you mentioned Leah but I just feel like Leah progressing in his career under Clark Lee would have allowed him to excel in the Clark Lee defense too. So that's more of a developing, totally developing right. player. Right. So going outside the box, because I think we have to go outside the box. Otherwise it's just really, it's just been good player development from Notre Dame. They have Drew White developed as a player. Bo Bauer got better as a player. Leah got better as a player. I would assume Kaiser will get better as a player. If Kyle Hamilton's role is different, if he's back more, does that change anything for the safety, uh, his possible counterpart at safety? You know, I mean, Kyle That's Hamilton good. played a lot, and he probably will again. Marcus Freeman will probably, I think, use him similarly that Clark Lee did. But what if Marcus Freeman sees a, a situation where, man, we really could be exposed on the back end. I need Kyle Hamilton's ball-hawking ability back there because he had one pick and not as many passes defense as you would have guessed. Does that benefit anyone? Does that benefit Kari Gee coming in, does Isaiah Pryor become a 20-snap-a-game box safety to be replaced with Houston Griffith or DJ Brown? Like, there's That's what I think is intriguing about the spring, to see how he might use some pieces and how he moves them around. I think it would benefit Kyle Hamilton. You know, because I don't, I don't think his draft stock is going to be boosted by playing in the box very much. By, by being a single high safety who mm-hmm. plays center field and takes away everything from the outside of the numbers to the outside of the numbers... I think that would be of an extreme value uh, at the next level. So, I, you know, he may, I think he's a guy whose stock could go from mid first round to top 10 with depending on how Freeman uses him. But at, you know, the other guys, I'm not sure that there's anybody who you look at and be like, ah, this is a guy who's just been waiting for his opportunity. And now that uh, there's been a coaching change, he'll get it. Um, you know, in a, in a different voice kind of way. Like I, I think, didn't we talk about like, when Harry Easton left, oh, Liam Eikenberg might benefit from just like a different voice, like kind of the yeah. fresh start. Right, right, right. 
I don't know if there's anybody on defense yeah. that fits that mold. I mean, I was going to say Batello, but Batello was probably going to be in a situation yeah. going into 2021, and you want to see more of him anyway. He's a yeah. maniac. He's aggressive. Uh, you know, you want him on the field. So I don't know. I, I think, um, you know, I think it's in free, Marcus Freeman's best interest to use Kyle Hamilton in a variety of ways. Um, but Clark Lee did that as well he did, many he times did. too. So. He used him the way he felt worked best, and then right. some, and then he got stressed too much. Freeman's a great. He's, a, he, he's yeah. great with matchups, as Pete mentioned about going to a three-three-five for the opponent. He's absolutely going to do do that. You're going to see a variety of looks based upon personnel slash the opponent. I just thought of the Hamilton thing when I saw him break up that first quarter pass against Alabama that we just hadn't seen him at deep covering the deep end of the field very often all year. And I thought, yeah. I wonder if that's what they're going to need next year because they're, I mean, just because I couldn't name other players that could play the position for Notre Dame at that point. And I, that's one of the things I want to watch. And, but Tim, you made the best point. He's going to be playing all over the field. He's not going to be a single high safety the whole time with right. Kyle Hamilton because he makes too much of an impact everywhere else. Right. Uh, a question that I hadn't thought of, but I was, Oh, no, actually, uh, I'm two ahead, but I'll start with Murphy JD. Assuming Jared Patterson moves out to left tackle and Josh Lugg is the right tackle with Zeke Corral at center, who starts at guard? And who is your first man off the bench who can step in at more than one position? I have a story today, part of our series, Building Blocks and Stumbling Blocks, uh, talking about Notre Dame's offensive line and this spe- specifically on Irish Illustrated today. I wrote down uh, Gibbons at right guard and Quinn Carroll at left guard. I am not married to either of those scenarios. I would think that they're probably going to try a whole bunch of different options there. And and maybe one of those is (coughs) lug at guard. I don't know. I mean, we sort of pencil him in at uh, right tackle right now, but who's to say Tosh Baker isn't a better option and lug isn't a better option at guard. I don't know. All I know is whatever we see April, whatever is not going to be what we see. Because they're going to have a lot, they have a lot of movement to do here. Um, I agree with the original, the premise in that we all think Lug's best ta- position is right tackle, but they might not have that luxury, right? He might not be yeah. able to play his best position. Well, I think the coaching staff felt that was his best position. Yeah. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that all I always know, but I, you know, they. I, I was actually that. going by what they told us. No, and, and, exactly. and he did, and he did a good job uh, filling in for Hainsey last year at right tackle. Nordy did, did miss a beat in November. As he we did a know. better job of filling yeah. in it. With, for Hainsey at right tackle than he did on the interior this for year. For sure. Um, so, you know, you think you start there. Um, Pete, I had the same guards, only I flipped them just because Gibbons has played so much left guard. Uh, it probably comes down to what Tosh Baker can do in the spring, right? You get a little more yeah. flexibility if you can trust Tosh Baker on the right side. Then Lug can be a guard, and you're not debuting a bunch of brand new – well, you're still debuting two brand new starters, I suppose. But it's – I bet it's more about Baker than it is about Lug because Lug's somewhere – Lug is somewhere, and I if Lug's at right tackle, I mean, I wrote down six names, and Gibbons is the first one. We haven't officially heard he's coming back for a fifth year, but it makes complete sense for them to bring him back, and we know that he wants to come back for yeah. a fifth year. So um, he, he, would be, he would be the guy with the first opportunity to win a, win a position. I don't think he's – you know, I think where he hurts them or where he's a negative is in the in – the, uh, outside zone where, because he's not really good laterally. Um, or at least he didn't look that way in the two games that he played extensively this year, but the six names I have are Gibbons. You know, you still have to throw Dirksen in there, but we've heard some negative things about consistency in terms of technique. Um, Baker, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, if if Baker's a better, I mean, I, Patterson's going to play left tackle. But if Baker were a better left left tackle right now, then maybe that would bump Patterson inside. But I don't think it will. Gibbons, Kristoffic, Carroll, Baker, Dirksen, and I'm not going to rule out Rocco Spindler because I like him that much and he's that aggressive. And Hainsey started as a true freshman or shared a spot as a true freshman. If any freshman can do it outside of Quentin Nelson, who didn't get to play as a freshman. Uh, Spindler would be able to do that. You know, I am thinking that Rocco Spindler is going to end up starting next year, regardless of where we see this starting out in August and ending in August. Um, good or bad, that doesn't mean it's necessarily good. But the, just when we're reading through the guards that Carroll lost a year of football, Gibbons has really restarted his career. He lost two years of football prior to this year. Um, there's Christophic is a is a possibility. He is a possibility. If you, can, yeah. if you can play tackle, you can. You can right. play guard, generally speaking. It's a uh, be a lot of movement. They won't be the yeah. number one ranked um, offensive line all through the summer this year, as they were going to. No, and it won't be the last time we speculate on <laughs> this for the next nine months. CMU Penns fan, if Notre Dame released the, its five captains, this is the question I hadn't thought about uh, yet. If Notre Dame released its five captains for the 2021 season this week, who would you put your money on? Got to say five, okay? Otherwise, it's not the spirit right. of the question. Five. five cow captains, Jared Patterson, Kurt Heinisch, Kyle Hamilton, Drew White, Kyron Williams. Those are my five as well. <laughs> Bang. Done. All right. Let them know. Next get question. It get it out on social. <laughs> uh, I would throw MTA in there as well as a possibility. Uh, but Kyron, <laughs> Kyron Williams is certainly – you have to name him a captain. <laughs> he is just a leader out there. I mean, well, he, I mean, he already he was yeah. as, a, as a redshirt freshman. So. The only guy that's a huge step there is Patterson, and he's a natural, I think, for going to his senior year. But he was the fifth. He was still the young pup last year on that line. That's that is the transition this line is under. He was the fifth of five captain opportunities last year on that line, and now he's the only one. Right, he would right. consider exactly. That's, Irish, that's the big change. Irish 1980, what is the chance we see philosophical slash schematic changes on offense from 2020 to 2021? Do they have the, quote, want to to be more explosive? Uh, If you edited want to out and replaced receivers, um, then I think you're getting to the heart of this question. It's It's not a matter of do they want to have big passing plays. Of course they want to have big passing plays. Um, last year they didn't have the material to do it. So is that going to change with a healthy Kevin Austin, a mature Jordan Johnson, a enrolled Lorenzo styles, uh, Xavier Watts, maybe giving you something Braden Lindsay, potentially healthy for a longer haul. I don't know, but, um, that's, that's what they need. I mean, they, they need better players. Um, I got a question about this in my mailbag today about, you know, the, why don't Notre Dame? Why doesn't Notre Dame play its freshman receivers more? Well, the question was couched as why don't they play any offensive skill players as freshmen more? And I'm like, well, that's not true. But what I think you're really getting at is like, why don't they play freshman receivers more? For the most part, it's because their freshman receivers aren't good enough to play. Um, and at Ohio State and Alabama, they are because they're signing two top hundred receivers every year and Notre Dame signs a top 100 receiver every other year. Um, and that's, that's what, that's where Notre Dame needs to get to. I mean, they, they need some of these young guys to click and if they do, then they'll have a more expensive explosive passing game. 
you had to take advantage of your offensive line as well. Yes. And, you had, and, and so you, and you had this, you, you had Kyron Williams who was ready to explode as well. You have to play to the strengths of your team. Now, do you, as the season progresses, you want to come up, I'm talking about this past season, 2020, you would like to be able to throw the football downfield if somebody develops. Jordan Johnson was having academic issues. Jordan Johnson didn't get on the field, I would assume, for valid reasons. Um, and so they played to the strengths. You can't just play, you can't just play a style because that's what you want to play. I find it kind of funny that, I mean, how many times do we hear in the past about What's Notre Dame's offensive identity? They don't have an offensive identity. Well, they clearly had an offensive identity this year, and that was no good either, or at least that's the way it was perceived. So you play to your strengths. They play to their strengths. They went undefeated during the regular season and got to the ACC championship game, ran into a buzzsaw, and then ran into the – what's bigger? What's 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 better? What's more than the buzzsaw? They ran into something there. The executioner's song. Um, look, Brian Kelly – did not play to his strengths by his own admission twice, 2010 and 2011. He tried to fit his scheme into people that didn't fit it. And boy, it was it an ugly offense both times. He wasn't going to do that again. He did the right thing for 2020. All right. Look they what Marcus, gonna, that, They're going to do it again in 2021, and I hope it works. because I. that's I, what Marcus yeah. Freeman does as a right. defensive coordinator. Now, are, so are, we'll are, people, are people frustrated that Braden Lindsay didn't have a really good year? Sure. I thought Braden Lindsay was going to have a better year than that. Yeah. Tim, you're cautious because you, um, I was probably four or five spots higher in the preseason because you mentioned, hey, he's, he's good every other week when he was good. Right. You know, I was like, yeah, well, maybe that's the growth of a player. I would have taken every other week this past yeah. year. It would have yeah. really helped. <laughs> so. it, it definitely was not every other week. It was a rough year for Braden Lindsay, and hopefully, you know, he still has two years of eligibility. Right. I know right. people have given up on him. People have given up on Kevin Austin. But when they're healthy, there's no reason to give up on them. Right. Right. And they haven't been able to do that up to this point. Caden MC. We have a long one. And I, I think the funny second sentence is funny. I wasn't crazy about Chip Long's RPO package. It always seemed to result in throwing to Alize Mack for two yards in the flat. But I do hope they start running the stuff you saw from Alabama, North Carolina, who put the ball in the running back's belly and then throw a slant. Seems like stuff Jack Cohen would do well. If you throw the ball two yards to Michael Mayer, right. there's a good chance he's going to break the tackle. Alize Mack. Not so much. Um, you know, I mean, I think that that's a, I think Cone's, I think Jack Cone's vision and height will certainly help him see some things. Um, you can't run everything, although it seemed like Steve Sarkeesian did in his, in the national championship <laughs> game. Uh, he did a really, really good job. I thought Tommy Reese did a really good job throughout most of the season. Um, most of their problems came in the red zone. Uh, so they moved the football. Um, they moved the football against Clemson the second time and should have had 17 points after three drives, but they had three. So Tommy Reese needs to be better. There's no doubt about it. It's his responsibility to be better in the red zone. I think that that would, that would solve a lot of the problems and questions that people have about the offense. But um, yeah, faking to the faking to the running back and throwing slants. That's an aspect of the offense that could be very beneficial to Notre Dame. I agree with all that. I mean, I think that there's um, there's this misconception around Tommy Reese that what Notre Dame was on offense last year is what they're going to be this year. I don't, I couldn't, I don't think it's further from the truth. Um, I think that Reese is going to see his personnel and say, "All right, got to let's do something different. Let's 
let's lean into our strengths next year the same way we did last year, but the strengths are different and the weaknesses are different. So I think the playbook and the focus and the identity will be different as well. You should probably read this. You should probably read this one, Tim, unless you want to read to myself. <laughs> let, let me just say <laughs> that, I mean, it has to change because Jack Cohn's not going to yeah. run the football as much as, as Ian Book. Now, by the same token, I mean, how many, you still want, you still want Kyron Williams to get his touches, right? I mean, you have to get the football in his hands. So I, look, until Notre Dame starts averaging 46 points a game, we're always going to have these questions. So, I mean, that's, that's understood. Tommy Reese needs to grow. Notre Dame's offense needs to veer off a little bit from what it was last year. But by the same token, you still want to be a quality running team that we, in recent years, we were complaining that they couldn't convert on third and short. They could do that this year. And it led them to 10 and 0, but it wasn't good enough in postseason. I understand the questions because right. of that. Uh, question from the maestro question for O'Malley. If you were to redo the tournament of the century bracket that you did last did last year during the pandemic is basically right. what we are <laughs> trying to do there. Uh, who from the 2020 season makes the field and approximately what seed? Well, Ousu Kormoa is clearly making the field pretty high seed. So let me ask you guys this. My first thought was just look at the four seeds. Tyler Eifert was a four seed in his best year. Wow. I mean, they have good players, right? That's mm-hmm. he's uh, that's Stefan too. It was a five, so he's somewhere in the low four, high fives, right? He's the Buckus Award winner. That's an awfully good season. <laughs> but but Tyler Eifert was the Mackey Award winner, an awfully good season. And Tuit was a finalist for the um, Ted Hendricks Award, one of the three best defensive linemen of the country as a sophomore. So that is okay. about the range, right? Four or five range. Okay, so based upon your seeding, let me ask you this now. Based upon your seating, I mean, JOK is a one or a two, right? No, I mean, to do that. No, the lowest two seed was like Jalen Smith's Buckus okay. Award winner. I mean, he's like a okay, he's so, a three or a four. Justin Tuck's sack record was a three seed. I mean, nineteen and a half. Okay, so, half where, so where does Eichenberg? Okay, let me ask you. Where yeah. does Eichenberg? Uh, like, what kind of seed are you thinking? Yeah, I was looking at. So I had McGlinchey's All American year. He was a six. You probably got to drop Eichenberg behind McGlinchey's All-American year, right? His 2017. Yes. So McGlinchey's probably in the nine range ahead of like a guy like a B. Amiri's best year, right? He's okay. an All-American. Yeah. TJ Jones yeah. was an eight as an MVP of the team, but as a worst wow. team, worst team, of course. Um, I mean, Hainsey and Banks make the list for sure. They're, Banks is an All-American. Um, Hainsey's, you know, being, I mean, Hainsey was a, be a little lower, but like, Robert Hainsey probably had more of this team than Prince Shembo did to the 2012 team, right? But Shembo was a heck of a It's player. so hard to compare those kind so of things. So here's my best question for you guys. Other than Julius Jones, who was – I think he was in the last two seed, actually. That's a heck of a two seed. Um, Kyron Williams, ahead of Josh Adams and the other running backs. I had Adams ahead of all the other running backs in a glut. It was like Adams was ahead of, uh, you know, of Williams, Procise, uh, Jonas Gray, all those guys. What, did, what did Adams average per rush? Uh, he was 7.1 I mean, it was, carry, it was, right? Yeah, 1,400 yards. Josh Adams was a 6. With Ronnie Stanley was a 6. I mean, those, the top of this list was good. That was Where, the, that's uh, what, what kind of seed would Ian Book be? Well, Book was in it at, oh, a, right, right, right. at a 9. Do you have Ian Book in it? I think you have to give Ian Book more credit for this year than his 8-game run is he only played Clemson compared to what he had to do this year of Clemson, Clemson, and Alabama and North Carolina, you know, yeah, like mm-hmm. 
he, he missed the Michigan game. Michigan was the second best team by far on that schedule. Just not even close. The, the Michigan defense was good until Ohio State scored 150. Yeah. You're not yeah. even including 2019 when he had 37 touchdown passes. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel like this year I'd rather have. I got you. Yeah, this book, gotcha. this book than last year. You got to yeah. include the who you you know play. Yeah. So book, do you put book? I you only get know. one. You only get one year. You only get one year. Ian book this year or Ian book 2018. Mm. It's tough, don't you think? Well, it's tough because yeah. he was inconsistent the first two months of the season this year. Right, right. Yeah. So I don't know. That's for that's your that's your deal. That's that's for <laughs> you to decide. A question from Corey Radio: Was there any player during the Brian Kelly era that didn't pan out that would have made a bigger impact than Kevin Stefferson? Corey Radio was reacting to the picture, the recent picture that we saw of Ian Book with Kevin Stefferson. I got I got two for you. All right, Aaron, this will be good. Aaron Lynch is one. Yes. Um, and the second one would be Brandon Wimbush. That's interesting. interesting. Well, Aaron, if Brandon Wimbush was what you thought he was going to be, then I think one Notre Dame probably is almost certainly in the playoff in 2017. Yes, they were were there anyway. I mean, but he was never going to be, he was never going to be because he couldn't see the field. He just, I mean, that's why they took in a different way than book couldn't see the field book couldn't see it <laughs> partly because of his, his yeah. stature, but I'm just Wimbush. saying like, if, if Wimbush could take the Michigan state game in 2017 and have that be how he played every week, then I think that Notre Dame's offense would be, have been totally different and involved in a, an incredibly unique way but i guess the, my differentiation there pete and it's a it's a great name to consider i didn't think winbush would ever get it from yeah. that standpoint aaron lynch we knew could yeah i mean would. it's like i'm not i'm not i'm definitely not saying like well it's it's either winbush or lynch no it's lynch like lynch is the guy <laughs> he's the answer to this question do you have anybody else tim no stepperson would have been a great player yeah, for the really eight, 18 and 19 teams with stepperson yeah Put Stefferson oh, in with Claypool, Boykin, oh, and that oh, running geez. game. Oh, that's a that's a great one. But yeah, Aaron, Lynch, Aaron Lynch is a Claypool. Claypool's uh, development as a junior might have would have been slowed. Yeah, yeah. He, but that's a uh, those are the best names. Wimbush is a unique name. I like to call Pete. I never would have considered Wimbush. I always don't. It's yeah, really I mean, hard to think of Wimbush how we thought of him before we saw him play. Yeah. And after we saw him. Yeah, the, the it quarterback has to be that like we kept a, hearing was like the most talented one yeah. with the Zaire and Kaiser, like, oh, just wait till Wimbush. Like, I don't know. That there I feel like there was something there at some point. It just it never ignited. Like and like a guy like Eshek Williams, I don't consider him for this because right, right. he just didn't develop. He wasn't going to. <laughs> yeah, he, we 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 called that one quicker than we called yeah. Wimbush. Yeah, yeah. That was... Jim, Jim Booney, CRS, how many transfers do you think will join Nordic football in 2021? We know of one and Jack Cohn. I mean, my speculation was of what because of what they absolutely need a safety in a corner, no matter what, um, that you'll go for four again like you did last year. I mean, they're probably – look, they might get into March and April and look at the winter conditioning and say to themselves about one wide receiver, any of the wide receivers, just because this position happens every single year. Oh man, he's just not getting it. And then you look for a wide receiver too. Does that make sense? Like there's there's positions well, yeah. out there I mean, where yeah. you're just yeah. If you if you find a guy with the hundred career catches like Ben Skronik right, coming right. in. Yeah. Would you uh, say would you say more than four? I mean, they brought in four last year. People forget just because Spate's disqualified and 
Oh yeah. Well, I yeah. they they certainly need a cornerback and safety. And I was told, I'm not exactly sure when it was, but sometime later in the season, that they would consider an offensive line transfer as well. And you're you're trying to fill two spots. You've got some you got some good candidates, but if again, if you got a guy that started 23 games at offensive have- guard, right? Rewind our podcast and listen to what we were trying to come up with. I absolutely think that's a good idea, and I hadn't considered that. What we were going offensive line, we're going. I'm like, yeah, Spindler will end up starting. Yeah, that's not yes, good. that's no. I mean, that is that's a great. You know, you could and, if Gibbons starts at one of them, you get an experienced guy the other, and and then all of a sudden you're, you're not, okay down in Florida well, State. You're, yeah, yeah, right. You're you're you know not I mean? you're not yeah. last year, but you're you're right. trending in that direction a lot stronger than you would. So that's. I was told that was a possibility, so let's we'll keep an eye out for that. ND fan one RAA, how confident are you in the current 2021 football schedule? Should I write it in A pen, <laughs> B pencil, or C an etch a sketch? Well, I would. <laughs> does, does does everybody listening know what an etch a sketch is? Is that still out there? I mean, that's like that's like an old timer's uh, toys. To, as Apple pen uh, on my iPad Pro. I would, yeah, I would say, uh, well, still pencil. Cause you don't, I mean, I, we're not, I, I could Lord knock on wood. I, I wouldn't expect the upheaval that we went through last year because everybody lived it. And we know that it's possible to actually play, but you could still right. have delays by, you know, I mean, it's still spiking, right? We haven't. Yeah, but they'll play that. They know they can play. play yeah, they'll, yeah. Just can't, they'll just say no fans and stuff right. like that. I don't think yeah. we're going to yeah. go, go through anything near well, we went through during the yeah. offseason last year. So pencil, I guess, right? <laughs> I would say write it in pen. Really? I no, pen. I, I, I go pen. No, but I mean, pen. But they'll you, be vaccinated. They'll find a reason to vaccinate okay. every player right, in Alabama and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's like there they're are college coaches who are on the back. Like, I think, was it Roy Williams? Cutcliffe got vaccinated. That Coach K was talking <laughs> about that today. Like, it's. That's coming around now. Um, was he whining you know, about it when he talked about it, or was he just talking? I'm not about sure, it? Okay. but I mean, O'Malley, it's like you know people in medicine, like the yeah. same more than I do. But like my friends who are in medicine, like yeah, they're they've already had their two shots. Like right, this is all this is all happening now. We got a, we got a long way to go. And Alabama's next in line, the whole team, right? Until, just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Until the new strain of virus comes through. Okay. Uh, Jumbo style KC, what game do you most vividly recall from early on in your fandom? Now, there was, I mean, early on in your fandom, I believe it was a Notre Dame type question. Yeah, but we could say anything. But That's it good. wasn't yeah. it wasn't specified. Mine will be Notre Dame, though. <laughs> I will I'll make mine Notre Dame related, even though I was not a Notre Dame fan kid, a fan as a kid, and that was the ball bouncing off Todd Murray's shoulder pad, and Adrian Jarrell caught it, and I was not very happy about that. <laughs> how that played out nice one the immaculate deflection i like it <laughs> uh danny age going coast to coast against digger and his freeze the ball offense to lose the sweet 16 digger diggers freezing the ball when they're up 10 <clears throat> digger phelps did it just want to point that out so that's what i remember most vividly i think it's the last time i cried watching a sporting event i was that was i was dead i was just it was over for me that was awful i was nine it was terrible eight awful Awful what, about, what about football? <laughs> football, um, vivid. I don't vividly remember the whole game. I vividly remember the uh, first game under the lights um, when I was nine. Also, I uh, hadn't turned ten yet uh, against Michigan. The Musco lights being rolled in, 
I know I remember the names, but I don't remember the seeing anything when they played Herschel Walker. I knew I knew three people in the world. It was um, Herschel Walker, Phil Carter, and Joe Montana at that point. So that was a football players in the world. So I knew Herschel Walker had a good day against Notre Dame. Yeah, football would be probably the Musco Lights. And then to remember the game, I remember they lost to Kozar in 83 <laughs> down in Miami. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> like watching the game as a little kid, like this guy's way better than the quarterbacks I normally watch. So that, that was something that made an impression on me. I have a, a, a glimpse of a memory of the 10-10 tie in 66, but I was only six. So it's really a glimpse. That's my, Her- that's my Herschel Walker. I knew Herschel Walker yeah. was great. I knew I he do, was great. That's all. But I do. I clearly do remember at age seven and 67 going to Notre Dame Stadium and seeing um, O.J. Simpson score two touchdowns against Notre Dame and beat him 24 to seven. But like the game that impacted me was 1970 when Notre Dame closed the season at USC in a rainstorm and Joe Theismann threw for 526 yards and they lost 38 to 28. Can you uh, believe that's still a record in yeah, the modern era? Yeah, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's 50 years. That's amazing. 526 yards. And then 73, you know, the, the, the Eric, the famous Eric Pinnock 85 yard run. Uh, I've told you about the green Jersey game in 77 when I was in the stadium hungover from the Steve, <laughs> from, from the Steve yes. Miller concert from the night before at the, at the Joyce center. Um, did you go so, home? Pardon me? Did you go home in between? <laughs> Just walk on over. To I did. Go, no, I did. <laughs> I did, I did go home, but, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a rough night and a, and a, and a rough afternoon the next day, but they came out in green jerseys. It was like, you couldn't believe what you were seeing because it just wasn't, you know, now if it happened, you'd say, oh, okay, well, they're on the verge of breaking out green jerseys sometime. You didn't feel that way in, in 77. Yeah. I have to throw in a, my first sporting live memory in honor of what's o- above O'Malley's right shoulder there. Cause it's an old school NBA. I went to game five of the NBA finals in 1988. It was a uh, Pistons Lakers. At nice. I was 10 years old. Um, and it was awesome. Even though we were like two miles away yeah. and the tickets <laughs> were five bucks, but it was, it was super cool. I was like, you know, it was like Jabbar magic worthy Isaiah Jumar's, Lambie or Robin, like all that, all that good stuff. That's yeah. a good one. You that's know what? Amazing one. I went with my brother uh, to the '87 Pan Am Games in Indianapolis, gold medal when Oscar Schmidt torched the U.S. and they won, and no one thought it was possible back then for the U.S. to lose. Wow! It was all yeah, Oscar. That was the Oscar Schmidt game, and we were they were winning at the half, and all of a sudden, this dude no one ever considered or heard of just went off, and everybody's stunned watching wow. the U.S. lose. I did have great memories in Notre Dame basketball too. I mean, you ripped on Digger, but man, I grew up when Digger was <laughs> that game. Digger was that game I know, is on I know, but man, I, <laughs> you, you guys don't. You guys can't even imagine how wild it was in Notre Dame basketball games in the early early to mid seventies, late seventies. Anyway, our last question. Speaking of basketball, from Topper Lacks seventy, who would be your candidates to replace Mike Bray if he were to retire after this season? And Topper at Lack 70 suggests Martin Inglesby, Anthony Grant, Monty Williams. Well, I mean, if you give me Anthony Grant, I would take that guy in a second. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't mind Monty Williams either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I, I yeah, mean, just Jordan, like Anthony Grant's, you know, right. done it in college. Yes. Multiple yes. spots. Um, I, don't, I don't know. It's, I don't, you guys have a stronger opinion or more dialed into hoops way more than I am. So I'll, I'll cede my time to you guys. Tim, I've got a couple of names. Go ahead. I mean, I love it. I think Anthony Grant is a great call. Um, I feel like Inglesby 
probably had to impress more for the Notre Dame fans to uh, also have a chance. I mean, last year he lost his season, you know, to, to um, this basketball season ending. I feel like that would not be enough of a, of a jolt of interest for Notre Dame basketball fans. And while that may not be the most important thing, they really have an apathetic fan base right now. And it might not be the best way to go to follow with Inglesby after Mike Bray. And I love Martin Inglesby, the person. Yeah, I and he's, do, a, I and he's a good coach. I'm just saying it's one of those, it's an optics situation right now with Notre Dame basketball. And that's, I don't, I don't see that playing well. I've got two guys that are young and have done a really good job. And the, and the first one would be Kevin Willard at, at uh, Seton Hall. He's been a head coach, uh, I want to say 14 years, not all of them at Seton Hall. He's Holy average, Cross, right? Pardon me? Wasn't he at Holy Cross at one point? Uh, wasn't he at Iona? Who was at Iona? Anyway, he's at Seton Hall now. He's won. He went, he went to the NCAA tournament. He averaged 22 wins a year, went to the NCAA tournament four straight years, and they won the Big East last year, and they would have made it, but it, it was canceled. Uh, but here's what I like about him also. I mean, he's experiencing success, but he also experienced failure. He was 82 and 80 in his first uh, – he did, he did coach at Iona, Tim. He's a he's a Patino pipeline guy. He was on the bench for him at and Holy Cross. Cr- and Holy Cross. We're both right. Okay, and Holy Cross. Three years. I was thinking of Ralph Willard. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's his. Da- that was his dad. Yeah. So I, I like Kevin Willard. Yeah, 45 years old. If you want to go a little younger, this is kind of a hot night. Hot name, Wes Miller. He's 37 at UNC Greensboro. He was hired as a head coach there at UNC Greensboro when he was 27. He was a North Carolina walk-on, so he's in his 10th year. Uh, he made the NCAA tournament a couple years ago. Last four years, he's 104 and 34. So those are a couple. I mean, he's finished first, first, second, and third in the Southern Conference. I'm sure there are others. Those are the first that came to mind. And Kevin Willard, I think, I love that big. I think Big East basketball now, I'm not saying it was, it is what it used to be, but I think Big East basketball is still really, really good competition. All right, we're going to end it there. That's Irish Illustrated yeah. Insider. You know, you Tim, I, hit me. I want to circle back to your memory of the 526 passing yards. Yeah. Do you know why that hasn't been broken? It hasn't been broken because they did not involve Jordan Johnson enough this year. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be broken. <laughs> Boom. Thank you, Tim O'Malley. Thank you, Pete Sampson. Thank you, Jack Freeman. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. We will talk to you again, and we could have an instant analysis if something breaks during the week. Otherwise, we'll be back next Monday. Thanks for joining us.